The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, you got to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 21 through 41, the gospel to the heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for my family. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. And Lord, my heart is full. It is filled. It is overflowing. Lord, um, I am strengthened. I am encouraged. I thank you for giving me beautiful, new, natural vision. And as your word says, first the natural, then the spiritual. That that which you gave to me in the natural is a picture of where we are going and heading supernaturally to be able to see you and to see our future and to move forward, to not stay where we are, but Lord, to take steps of faith where we enter into the blessings, enter into the, the land that you've promised And every one of us has their personal possession in that promised land. It's, there's enough for everybody. There's room for everybody, every tribe, every individual family. There's more than enough. You are rich and you are gracious and you are faithful and you are good. And even we can lean into you and not be afraid. Yes, there are giants. Yes, there's spiritual battles. But the battle is not ours, the battle is yours. You said, I will fight for you, but you need to follow me in order that by faith I can train you, that I might share my glorious kingdom with you, and even as my bride, and bring my kingdom from heaven to the earth. So may we hear what the Spirit would say to the church tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Okay, we'll start off uh, with verses 21 and 22. And Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Rome. So verse 21, it says, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, he wanted to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Here we have the first mention of Paul's plan to visit Rome, the capital of the then world governing Roman Empire. And here is the Spirit's great strategy for evangelism. Paul's already been, you know, starting churches all throughout Europe. And then he wanted to really, he stayed for quite a while in Ephesus. And Ephesus is the gateway to the continents. It's the gateway in the ancient world from the east to the west. And then from there, what, what, because Paul's desire was to plant the good news of the Savior that God, the creator of the universe, had visited his own creation. He had come from heaven and let us see him and walk with him and know him and be healed by him and taught by him and delivered by him. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest 
in the flesh through Jesus Christ. So Paul now wants to bring that message to the capital of Rome. That was the capital of the Roman pagan godless empire that Satan was using to have tyranny over mankind. And Paul had been given keys that would bring deliverance, that would deliver mankind from oppression, from tyranny, and from oppression and all of the things that the enemy had. He wanted to bring it right to the heart of the Roman Empire, Rome itself. So we're basically, we have one third of the, of the entire book of Acts left. We've covered two thirds. So what I want you to understand is that from now on, all the way to the end of the book of Acts, it's all about Paul eventually making his way to Rome. Because when he reaches Rome and he shares the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, even though it will start with just a few believers, Jews and then Gentiles, and then a little church, a little ecclesia, and compared to the mammoth Roman Empire will seem so small and insignificant. But the reality is, and we now know from history, the big mighty Roman Empire from that moment would begin to crumble and collapse and fall apart and does not exist in the year 2021. But that feeble little group of men and women, boys and girls, Jews and Gentiles, gathering in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus Christ, would grow so that 2,000 years later, there would be 2.6 to 7 billion followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fastest growing religion on planet Earth today in 2021 is Christianity. The gospel is sweeping around the world. And some of the areas that you would think are the most dark and the most oppressed, which they are, is where the church is growing the fastest. Asia, China, the Middle East, country after country. It's like the Holy Spirit, he's not even having to wait upon the missionaries anymore. He's dropping dreams and visions like spiritual bombs that are exploding in the minds of men and women, boys and girls in all these countries. And the church is alive and growing. And it's a sign the king of kings is on his way. Amen? So, Paul's goal is that he wants, that was his promised land. So I want to start with, here's, here's my, uh, the thing that I want you to take away with you. What is the territory? What is the promised land that God has for you? As your pastor and as your shepherd, as I pray for you, here's my only goal and dream and desire. I don't want a bunch of fearful sheep that look out and are scared about everything going on in the world and go, well, I'll just hunker down and try to wait it out or survive or hope and pray that maybe we'll get back to normal, whatever that was. No, I want you to go into the world and I want you to move forward just like the Apostle Paul did. I want you to move forward. God has a promised land for you, for your own heart, for your own dreams. Uh, and it means moving forward. You can't stay where you are. You've got to take a step, even a small step, but a step forward to what God is calling you to and exercise and activate your faith. And that is all God is looking for is a mustard seed. One small step, just like on the moon, one small step for mankind. But 
You know, this is what God will do. He will do great and mighty things which you cannot dream or imagine. Okay, so that is in verse uh, 21. Now look with me in verse 22. It says, And so he said to Macedonia, Two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Verse 23, And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. If you have a pen or pencil, underline that phrase, the way. That's what earliest Christians were called. The name Christian is coming, but it hasn't arrived yet. So how do you describe their, well, they're Jewish, yeah, but they're not the same as just because they believe this guy, Yeshua, is the Messiah, and they follow him in a very unique way. So they call them the followers of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. So there, about that time, there rose a great commotion within the city about the way, those Christians. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but through most, almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Okay, so here's what I want you to write down for your life application. The way of the Lord, so the early church, the way of the Lord preaches a spiritual revolution. The way of the Lord was disrupting and disturbing. <laughs> really, yeah, the religious thing was, but that was a veneer. What the people that were hearing Paul and receiving Jesus, they were letting go of idols and they were now trusting in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit having a relationship with him so they no longer believed in Diana as this goddess that fell from heaven and they had this big stadium that could seat 50,000 people in it. And everybody thought that that was a goddess and therefore everybody had to have their own little uh, statue, idol that you could pray to, you believe in and worship and put food in front of a little miniature uh, Diana, as it were. So there were, because, and it was a tourist site. People from all over the Roman world would come uh, here and they would come to the, the beautiful temple and they would buy a little uh, special, you know, Diana idol and take it home and put it in their homes. So they, basically they made a lot of money off this idolatry. So what's happened, Paul is preaching the gospel, they're no longer believing she's an idol, therefore they're no longer, and the tourists are coming and they're hearing the gospel and they're no longer going up to the temple and they're no longer worshiping and they're no longer buying the idols, so they were losing money. It was all about the loss of money. 
And that's why he's trying to stir up the people and he's about ready to stir up something uh, very, very big. Now, here's what I want you to know. Artemis or Diana was a fertility goddess. And here, you know, it's gross, but it's kind of uh, something that you need to know and understand. It was a woman with just surrounded with breasts all around her. That was this idol. And it was associated with uh, immorality, sexuality. Basically, the temple priestesses were prostitutes where part of the religion was that you go up and you have sex and then, you know, there's unwanted children and so the children are sacrificed again to the God. It's all conveniently worked into the whole deal. And it made a lot, tons and tons of money. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ came in, it put a wrecking ball into the whole thing. And there were people now that were actually wanting a purity because the problem with the uh, sexuality and all of that, notice just in the image, I'm sorry, but this is in the Bible and it talks about what Diana is. This woman that's got just basically surrounded by all these breasts is a twisting and a perversion of sex with the image of Diana. And I I just wanna say this, that all the way going back to the beginning, sexual perversion or twisting is the opening of the soul to the demonic realm. It, from, from the very beginning, probably more than anything else, when we open ourselves to a sexuality which is a twisting or a perversion, or, you know, all of a sudden there's always a, a twist to it. It's a mixture of, you know, where, the way you put, you put sex in the middle of it, but then you go outside God's bounds and you experiment by putting all these things together, like this, this woman that is surrounded with all of these breasts or whatever, and it's a perversion, and it's a window through which the demonic comes. From the very beginning of the Bible, when the sons of God came down to have sex with the daughters of men, the devil came to destroy and pervert men's souls. So I wanna tie this into what we've been talking about and sharing here, because as we have mentioned, Tammuz 17 is all about the golden calf. The golden calf is more than that they said, oh, God is not, you know, because God said, don't make an image of me, you can't make an image of me, you can't capture me in an image. There shall be no graven image of me. I am the creator of the universe. So they wanted, they've been in Egypt, so they made a golden calf. But it wasn't just a golden calf they're praying to. I want you to understand that within Egypt and the golden calf, part of the worship of the golden calf was immorality, having sex, beyond, with, not with your wife, but with another, maybe another wife or another young girl or another you know, man with men or whatever. It was, the golden calf was filled with sexual perversion, and, and that's what the idol represented, and God knew that you've just opened every window and door of the satanic, luciferian, demonic realm. I delivered you. you, you resisted that, and were there as my children, and I delivered you from that bondage and darkness and twisting for 400 years, and then you went back to it in the golden calf. 
So, you know, it's, it's sad. Every time you read in the Bible, if you go through the Old Testament, Israel had a good king and they would tear down the idols and tear down the shrines that were on the mountaintops. All those times, and then when it said, and then another king rebuilt the mountaintops and rebuilt the shrines and rebuilt the idols, every single time they were going back to a full-blown uh, sexual perversion where they were not families, not husbands and wives, and raising sons and daughters and walking in purity and cleanness. Look, God created sexuality. God created desire. God is the one, you know, he's not against it. He's totally for it. He made it. But there's a way when it is holy and it's pure and it produces life and it reproduces. And there's another way that's dark and that is empty. And that, you know, the devil, you know, the devil part of it, it starts twisting and then it's men, kind of half man, half animal, and it gets weirder and weirder and twisted and twisted and perverted, perverted, and it loses everything and it destroys. So what I wanted you to hear and to understand, there's power in the blood of Jesus. The blood of, look, all of us, you know, we're, we're all human beings, sexual beings, made in the image of God. We all come from broken, you know, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all need, you say, well, what do I do? You ask God's forgiveness you understand there's, God is not just into rules. He's not into just keeping you from having enjoyment, pleasure, or fun. The opposite of that is true, if you know God. He goes, I want you to have more pleasure, more joy, more excitement, more, you know, of everything. But my way is clean, my way is pure, my way is holy, my way is righteous, my way doesn't have any lingering darkness, anxiety. Here's what happens. Once you open the Pandora's box of sexual twisted perversion, it, it has diminishing return, number one, that's a sign it's of the devil, because with God, it grows in joy, and then it gets more and more twisted, and then you get more and more trapped, and then you're doing things, you become a slave, and you're not even enjoying what you're doing, and yet you're you are addicted, you're trapped, and your, your heart is screaming for relief or help, and you go, ah, so you've gotta call out to the Lord. That's why you repent. Repentance is, basically what it means is change your mind. <laughs> I don't want to be twisted. I don't want to be perverted. I don't want darkness. I don't want anxiety. I don't want to live in constant fear. And I don't want the diminishing returns where I am just, I'm feeling like I'm, my life is being squeezed out of me. How many of you would say, no, I would like to change my mind. I want life. I want love. I want joy. I want peace. I would love greater joy, greater intimacy, greater freedom, greater pleasure, greater of all that God has for me. I don't want to figure it out myself. I'm going to trust the man, Lord Jesus Christ, who has come to save me, deliver me, and the God who created me, and I'm with him in intimacy and relationship with him. Can I hear an amen on that? So let me say that right now, it has recently become true in our world, and I believe it's another sign, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The perversion sexually of what was happening in the days of Noah was where God said, you've reached 
the measure where I gotta come down and intervene. Judgment is going to come. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And so right now, we have just passed the tipping point where the number one way to make money in the world isn't drugs and isn't all these other things, but it's sex trafficking. A lot of it is exploitation. A lot of it is, forget, waiting until they're you know, mature as a man or as a woman or whatever. We're gonna start with them all the way when they're little tiny boys and girls and we're going to indoctrinate them and we're going to expose them and we're going to you know, bring them into it and then use them and control them and it turns into child sex trafficking, making so much money that we're reaching a level where we're in that red zone of danger zone and we need to pray that God will have mercy upon our generation and upon our world and that's why Paul was going to Rome because where we're heading is where Rome was and that's what broke Rome and that's why, but the good news is, a great revival came, and the church arose. Rome went down, but the church arose. Can I hear an amen on that? So I'm being very honest with you here, but this is what I feel from the Lord, and I feel it's very important, not just to know what happened 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts and the church that was there, but the same things happening then are happening now. Now what's interesting is this Demetrius guy, no stronger testimony can be given to the Apostle Paul than the words of a critic who acknowledges the success of his adversary. He goes, this guy is ruining our sex trade business. Nobody's buying idols, nobody's going to the temple. Their lives are changing and they were breaking the bank and losing money. Praise God for that. Okay, look at me, verses 27 through 29. The gospel was falsely accused and then attacked. Beginning in verse 27, or actually verse uh, 28, it says, now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the, you know, the cultural people are saying, hey, what are they doing to our culture? And our, we've always believed in Diana. And they're angry and they're a mob and they're all stirred up, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. Okay, here's what I want you to do. The gospel was falsely accused and attacked. Christians were accused and attacked for pointing people away from Diana and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Demetrius was charging that Paul and the believers were revolutionaries and that they were going to destroy the lives and the businesses of all the silversmiths and the tourist trade from all around the world. What I wanna say is the preaching of the gospel does preach revolution, but it is not a revolution of this world. It preaches a spiritual revolution that transformed the heart from the inside to the outside, amen? The gospel does not preach physical violence, but it does preach spiritual violence with spiritual weapons and spiritual warfare against the lies, the demons, the strongholds of the enemy. 
So we take violence in the spiritual arena. But it does not tell people to take up arms or get physical weapons or physical warfare. We are to battle spiritually. Therefore, the charge they were making against Paul and against all the others was false. No, we're not here to start a physical revolution. We are not here to destroy. Paul didn't gather a bunch of people and protest all the idolatry that's going on. He didn't say, let's get a bunch of workers and we'll go tear down the temple. No, he didn't, he didn't have to. That's the good news. He did spiritual warfare. He was tearing it down because nobody was visiting it anymore. They wanted to hear about Jesus. They wanted to see the supernatural. They wanted to witness people being delivered from that demonic strongholds. They wanted to see people healed. They wanted to see the living, resurrected Jesus Christ coming in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So the temple, as idolatrous as it was, would not be physically destroyed by believers. And neither would any of the people be coerced to follow Jesus. They weren't there to win an argument and force people or coerce people to be followers of Jesus. The choice is up to each individual. No force was involved. No coercion is involved. We preach the gospel. It has power in the gospel to bring salvation. But we leave it to the individual to say yes or to say no. All Paul and the believers wanted was the right of free speech to be able to speak the truth about Jesus Christ. And when they used their free speech, it literally shook the whole Roman Empire, Diana, Ephesus, idolatry was collapsing just through the power of the sword of the truth of the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen on that? That's what we want to do. So they were after, they looked for Paul, they couldn't find him, they found two of his you know, right-hand men, Gaius and Aristarchus, they dragged him into the theater. And so here's what I want you to know. The gospel requires courage as well as wisdom. Look at me in verses 30 and 31. It says in verse 30, and so, Or in verse 29, so the whole city was filled with confusion and they rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians and Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. I want you to note the gospel requires courage as well as wisdom. Paul was like, they got my two buddies, I'm going in there. There's tens of thousands of people in there, mad to hear, ready to tear people limb from limb. And I love the fact that he was courageous. Paul said, I'm gonna go you know, to defend them. What's interesting, and it doesn't tell us why, but whatever time Paul had spent in Ephesus, he had won the favor of the local city officials. Not necessarily they become Christians or believers, but they were listening to Paul. They were impacted by the story he was telling. And they were saying, we see power with the message this man preaches. We see lives changed and transformed. This, he's not doing anything wrong. He's not against, he's not fighting with Roman soldiers. He's not tearing down buildings. 
And so they stepped in to protect Paul. So we do need to use wisdom. So I want to give a word to you because during this last year and a half, we have had some big riots, not unlike Ephesus. And there are a lot of people, you know, whatever side that you want to pick of politically or whatever, that it's kind of like exciting to go see all, you know, everything that's going on or whatever. As your pastor, I want to say to you, if that happens again and something comes around in San Diego, don't go. Don't get in the fight. Don't do it in the flesh in the name of Jesus Christ because in those riots can come a spirit and the next thing you, and it happened over and over again, city after city. Some person was kind of there saying whatever they believe, but they got dragged into something and then paid a terrible, terrible price. What I want to say is that there's a, there's a spirit that can be behind and takes advantage of men coming against one another in the flesh and it's dangerous. Don't go. Don't participate. They held on to Paul. And these guys, maybe they were believers. Maybe they weren't. And I admire Paul's courage, but they said, no, you're not going anywhere near that crowd that is with wrath up to here. And I believe that God used them to spare Paul's life. May God use and bless local officials who restrain Paul to restrain those of us today that might not realize we should stay away. And we can do it better by praying into the situation. Look at me, verses 32 through 34. Jewish leaders make a big mistake by connecting uh, or disconnecting with the Christians. In verse 32, it says, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Could that describe a lot of our recent riots? Hey, there's a lot going on. What's happening? I don't know. Why are they throwing? Why are they shooting? Why are they? I don't know, but it's exciting. I got a picture. Oh, don't go there. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude and the Jews putting him forward and Alexander. So now Alexander is a Jew who doesn't believe in Jesus. He's heard the gospel, but he hasn't believed. So he's Jewish. Alexander motioned with his hand. So here's this rabid crowd that's in a fury and frenzy. And he wanted to make his defense to the people. He wanted to say, here's what he wanted to say. Yeah, we're Jews, but we're not with them, the Christians who believe in Jesus. And he made a huge mistake because they couldn't, the Greeks, Romans couldn't tell the difference between a Jew who did believe in Jesus as Messiah or a Jew that didn't believe it. They didn't know anything. And so he was trying to say, we're not with them. We're Jews, but, and there was anti-Semitism even in the Roman world 2000 years ago. He made a big mistake. If I may then say back to why I'm going next Sunday afternoon at three o'clock in El Cajon, and there will be Jewish people there and rabbis there, and I want to stand with them. We're not disconnected. Yes, I want every Jewish person to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but if they don't, I still love them. We need to honor them, bless them, and God is still with Israel, and I believe we have a role as America to stand with the Jewish people, those who will stand with us. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice, they cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. The crowd just went nuts. And that's a spirit that took over that crowd. So his, his goal of separating, you know, trying to explain Jews with, that believe Jesus or don't, he made a big mistake. 
And it's better for Jews and Christians in this hour to come together. There's too much we have in common. And then when we love them, we can share the truth of our beautiful Savior, Jesus. So in verse 35, and we'll close with the final verses here and round out the chapter. When the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? So he's just re- telling him, look, we know our story. We know our history. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. Calm down. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers, they haven't stolen anything, of temples, nor are they blasphemers of your goddess. Which is interesting. It's not that they were preaching against. They were preaching for Jesus. We don't need to fight them and tear down this and that. We need to preach Jesus. And therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, if they've broken some law, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. If you have an actual case and a law, but what you're talking about is people's beliefs. Let everybody believe what they will. So let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. So God used, that's why we pray for kings and all in authority. God uses them sometimes to keep us from total collapse of civility. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. In other words, he was saying, look, we're a free Roman city. We have all the rights and privileges of the Roman law. And you're here not using Roman law, getting into beliefs and religious you know, things and arguments. And if we cause a ruckus and we destroy a bunch of property and we can't pay taxes back to Rome, we're all in trouble. So knock it off. <laughs> if you got an issue, you got a case or some actual law that they broke, if it's just people sharing what they believe, leave them alone. So for that, I am glad that I am a citizen of the United States of America where we still have the freedom of speech. We can say what we believe, but let's use that and the power of the gospel and let that be our sword And spiritual weapons are mightier than physical ones. There is within even the church, sadly, a group who would love to take things and matters into their own hands or violence. And that is not the way. I'm saying biblically and from the book of Acts, that's not the way to go. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.